whatever which they make that this is the promised land, the biggest problem of this claim is that even if the land was promised without any conditions to the children of Yaqub the Bani Israel, the question that comes is who are the Bani Israel and who are the Jew? So on this he writes in the controversy of Zion. First he starts about the word Yehud, where it comes from. So he says about 460 years before Isa came in the world, the children of Yaqub which were called the Israelites, they split up. Amongst them was one group which was called the group of Judah. And this was always a group which was fighting with the rest. So they finally forced it to separate. And from this word Judah came the word Yehud. So at that time, about 460 years before Isa salam, the people of Judah, they made a separate law in the religion. And this was known as the law of a special racial creed. That we are a chosen nation which has been chosen to rule the world. So it was not the entire Bani Israel who had this. It was one group from the entire Bani Israel, the Judah, which we later call the Yehud. That we are a chosen nation. It was because of this view of this that when Isa والسلام, came, they weren't ready to accept him. The Bani Israel, many of them accepted Isa والسلام, they became known in history as Christian. But that group which held on to this view that we are a chosen nation, they remained as Yehud. Because they could not see Isa والسلام, who they felt was born from a mother who had no husband. They felt that this boy is an illegitimate boy, how can he rule over us? And they did not accept Isa It was the same view of theirs of a chosen nation which later on became known as the Darwin's theory of evolution. That the main thing of Darwinism is this, that we are a chosen nation or that one, the stronger has been made to rule over the weaker. And to eliminate the weaker will make the stronger stronger. A chosen nation that everyone will be under us or destroyed. It was for this reason that in history, a play was made at one time called Animal's Farm to show the same Jewish concept. So in this animal farm, everyone is animal. But the concept that's given is we are all animals in the world, but some animals are stronger than the others. And the person made it the pig. That they were the strongest, trying to show that the Jews are the pig of this world at the moment. And they feel that they are the greatest over the rest. So it was this concept of Judah that went throughout history. So the question comes, who taught them this concept? So that's one question, which you will leave now. So that's now one break off of the Bani Israel. One group became the Judah, which became known as the Yehud. And then many of the Bani Israel who held on to their view also joined them. They went on one side. Thereafter, Nabi Apaq sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came. And what they call about 740 years after the death of Isa salam, which should be about 150 years after Hijrat. When the Muslim armies were now invading all over and they were trying to enter Europe. So in the east of Europe there was one group which were known as the Khazars. And they were famous for their might that this was the group which managed to keep Islam out of Europe. So as we mentioned, majority of Europe has been mentioned by many people that perhaps this is that group that we are known as, that group which is known in nowadays history as being used for bringing the Jews Back to Israel. The same European people, Western Europe became Christian, Eastern Europe. The entire group for some reason 
which no Jew up till today is able to mention why accepted Christianity. They were very a mighty power. They ruled from the Black Sea on the one side, they say, to the Caspian Sea on the other side. A very wide rule and they show how they ruled in Russia and how they ruled in places like Germany. They had their rule over all those areas. This entire group, for reasons which up till today no one knows, they all became Jews. Thereafter, because now so many Jews accepted the world, they said at that time perhaps there were 4 million Jews in the world, with the acceptance of these people it rose to about 8 million. So how many Jews entered? As normally we know that people don't accept Jews into the religion. But whenever they find benefit, Jews are accepted very quickly into the religion. So these people which are known as the Khazars came into the Jewish religion. Arthur Kostler, he is a man who wrote this book called the 13th tribe. 13th tribe is that Bani Israel were 12, 12 groups. Where did this 13th group come out from? So in that he explains that today's Jews can be divided into two groups. The first one they normally known as the Safadim. And this is something to know to understand what is their claim over the Holy Land. So he says the Safadim are those people who were there at the time when the Jews were chased away from the land of Palestine, which we mentioned 2,000 years before the coming of Nabi Apaq sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They went and they settled in North Africa, in Spain, in areas around the Mediterranean Sea. In 1960, they took an estimate of how many of these Jews, meaning Jews who could really claim that they were from the Mubarak land and chased out. How many of them are in the world? In 1960, it was found about 500,000. So these are the only Jews who might have a claim that we come from this land, 500,000. Besides that, there will be many Bani Israel who became Christian. They also got a claim on the land. There are many Bani Israel which became Muslim. They also got a claim on the land. But they have been all kicked out. And these 500,000, the remaining of those who were chased away, they are now known as the Jews of this world. That is the Safadim. Then you get those that came from Eastern Europe, which came from the Khazars. They took the name of Ashkenazim. So he writes, in 1960, they took an estimate of how many of these Jews are in the world. Meaning, Jews who have no link at all to Yaqub Jews who never came from the land of Palestine. Jews who can no way claim to be a chosen people. They are Jews who just accepted the religion in Europe. And they never saw the land of Palestine. The estimate that was taken is they go into the millions. So the real Jews who really came from that land in 1960 reached about 500,000. And the Jews who never ever saw that land ever in history and who have no link up to Yaqub alayhi salam in no way can be called Bani Israel, they go into the millions. Zionism spread from the second group. And in the name that we are the chosen people, they have always covered their lineage. To such an extent that one Zionist leader said that the biggest problem we have is that in our lineage we reach nowhere towards the chosen people. And they are the ones that are making the biggest effort that we must get our land back. Whereas they never came from that land. So this is the present Jews of the world. So that was one point which had to be cleared. Now the second group, the first group which we spoke about, those people who went away from Palestine, about 500,000 in 1960, they always held on to religion. That was the main force behind them. That although we don't accept the Christian religion, our book is a book, but 
But when these Kazas accepted the Jewish religion, they all write it was politically based. Because they never ever showed any inclination towards the Jewish religion at all. That's why Eastern Europeans, very few of them were those that hold on to the religion. That this is a divine book. More of them are those that say we are Jew because we call ourselves Jew. It's a thing of being a nation that is all. Because of this, in the year 1889, in Berlin, there was a big problem between those Jews who said that the Jewish religion is based on our book. And between those who said that we are the new Jews, that we will do things our own self. And a big problem began between the two. So in 1889 in Berlin, a conference was held. And in this conference they decided, because the power of the non-practicing Jews was so much, they decided that from now on to be a Jew, it doesn't need that you have to have religion with you. Every Jew has the right to translate or to interpret the scriptures of the Jews as he pleases. Even if a man becomes an atheist, he will still be called a Jew as long as he is loyal to the nation. And in 1889, this became known as a Jewish religion. That you don't have to be a Jew, you don't have to worship one God, you don't have to know about Musa a.s. As long as you are loyal to a nation, you are called a Jew. And this is the Eastern European Jews that are fighting so much for the formation of a holy land, what they called. That word holy for them means just a land to get power over the whole world. So this is the Jews of present day time. So the question which I mentioned last week, is every country that was used to bring the Jews into Palestine, how did they get so much power? And why did they make it their mission in life that we must do this, irrespective of how many of our soldiers are killed and what happens to our people? So Jews themselves have written on this, Christians have also written, that how did the Jews become so powerful in the last, what we say, 200 years? Everyone knows we always speak about behind everything is a Jew or a Jewish lobby. But the question is, how is a Jewish lobby so strong that never in history was anyone able to pull it out? They were able to take over everything that needs to subjugate mankind to their will. Henry Ford in 1922, he wrote The International Jew. And he was one man who tried to fight his whole life against Jewish presence in America. He started the Ford Company. And he gave his life. One thing of him he would always mention to his friends, never accept a loan from the bank. Because this is the best way the Jew will pull you in. Riba, interest. At the ending of his career, his own company went into debt. And every paper was mentioning then that we will make sure this man now takes a loan from the bank. And he fought right till the ending to ensure he never took a loan. Because the day you take a loan and interest goes up and you are not for the Jew. But the Jewish power over him was so much that he was the main force in American economics and he fought his life against the Jew. And the day he died, the Jews bought off his whole company. Just to show that we got power over all you Christians. And then the entire Wall Street, what is called the economics of America, was entered then into the Jewish power. So he wrote in 1922 that why is it wherever I look and wherever I see harm coming from, I find that there's a Jew behind it. And then he asks, how are they so powerful that no one can stop them? So he says, if I look at the drama field, theater, there were acts and there were plays made long before the Jew came into the drama field. Christians were in charge of the drama. Shakespeare had his own plays. Different people had their own plays. 
But in 1855, the Jews took over the entire drama. He says, from that time onwards, drama never ever was what it was before. What drama is what we nowadays know as the movies or TV. And no one ever thinks that who's behind television, it's one company of Jews. He says, when they came in, they changed the entire theater system. At one time it was how man can act, now it became machines which are doing the acts. And colors, and lights, and man just has to act. The first thing. He says, at one time theater was a man would behave very moral. But when the Jews took over, immorality came into it. 1922 he wrote this, if you had to see what today's movies are. The third thing about the Jewish drama was that they made stars. A man could not act also, but just because they put him up, that this is so and so star, then the whole world adorns that person. Irrespective of how he acts, but he's a star. Whether he's a soccer star, whether he's a cricket star, whether he's a movie star. Irrespective of what his life is behind the scenes, but because his name is put up, he's a star to be adorned. The third thing. The fourth thing is say they made it commercialized. One movie will come out in one country, the whole world will be made to see that movie. And their message will be given in that movie. And the fifth thing he says is, have you ever seen in a film that a Jew is made, example, to have relations with a woman in a haram manner? Or a Jew is the one bringing in drugs? Or a Jew is in the nightclub? Or a Jew is doing all the filthy actions? The Jew is always a very respectable man in the films. And it's always a Christian who will be made to show that I am the most immoral of mankind. So this was the fifth thing of this. So he says they took over the drama. The second thing he says they took over music. There was music before the Jews came in. But the day the Jews took over music, he says the morality of music completely left. And in 1922 he says we began seeing immoral music. He says jazz, nowadays what we have pop and everything came out. He says the king of jazz was a man called Fresco who was a Jew. And he started this whole thing. So he says they took over the music. The liquor field, the Jews always said, we are the most sober of mankind, we don't drink. But they took over liquor production to such an extent that in America when the law came that no one can sell liquor, the Jews were exempted for the law. And the only people who can sell are those people. 85% of liquor sold in the world is from the Jew side. So he said they took over the liquor industry. Then he says they took over war policies to such an extent that whoever went into history found behind every war there was Jews who were benefiting from the war. And then he gives one example of another man who was the advisor to the president of Zimbabwe, Ivor Benson. He wrote that I can prove to you behind many wars there was a Jew, but I will take the, war, the idea of a war which is the furthest from the mind of a Jew. That is Russia. Russia has always been that country which stood up that we hate the Jews. That's why Zionism and communism never went together. But he proves in his book that whatever Russia did, the harm never fell on the Jews. When Russia made a law that no one can have anything private, everything belongs to the state. Underground, the only people who had private industries were the Jews and none of them were ever caught and brought out. And they went into the millions of rands and they continued practicing. Russia. Then he says the Jews had such a stranglehold over Russia and he's using Russia as an example because it was known that Russia hates the Jews. So forget America and Britain, what power they had there, Russia. He says Russia in the year 1916 when this 
Palestine was formed. So at that time, the first president of Palestine, David Ben-Gurion, he gave his speech to the Jews because every Jew was scared of Russia. That Russia is the country we have to fear. And Russia's power was already over the area of the Middle East. So he told the Jews, they don't worry of Russia. They're not really our enemies. He says, rather more than America and England, whatever arms we got to fight our war of independence comes directly from Russia. 1916 he said this. And he continued telling his people, don't worry of Russia. However, because it was known that Russia hates the Jews, Russia was able to develop a very strong link with the Arab nations. To such an extent that Egypt's ta'alluq relation with Russia was known throughout history. President Nasser would go over and over to Moscow to discuss things. Because Russia was the Arab's friend. So 1916 he told the people, no fear of Russia. When Deir Yassin, a place in Palestine, was destroyed completely and millions of Palestinians were killed or made to get out. And that whole area was destroyed. Later on it was proved that every weapon used in that day was from Russia itself. Then finally in 1946, most likely 46, when that six-day war took place. And this is something we'll always hear in history, six-day war. And how the entire Arab nation surrounding Israel was completely destroyed in a period of six days. But no one ever went, how did they destroy them so much? So he writes that because Moscow was so close to Egypt, so Moscow sent news to President Nasser that Israel is going to now attack Syria. So send all your troops onto the border. So Nasser says that main Egyptian troops must be sent onto the border. And thereafter Moscow sends a second message to them that as long as they don't make the first shot, you do not shoot. Wait for our help. Do not start the war. So Nasser agrees, there is no preparation for war whatsoever in the Arab states. And Russia sends its fleet into the Mediterranean. That if anything the Israelis do, we will step in and destroy them. And no Muslim ever thought at that time that Israel will be ready to go against Russia. Because the strength of the Russian Empire was well known. Because of that, none of the Muslims of those states really made any preparation for war. All that was happening on the border of Syria... Egyptian troops were there waiting. And because Russia sent their fleet, America sent its fleet out into the waters. That if you start, we will start. And then suddenly, what we call, what we will say, unexpected, but as if it was all planned long before, Russia and America come to an agreement that none of us will step into this war. None of us will step into this war. Peace between us. And as soon as that agreement was made, the next day Israel attacks. And in six days they butcher that entire Arab states. And they go into places where they would never have thought of going. And they are amazed there is no one to stand up against them. Whatever the Arabs could find, little weapons they tried to fight. Within six days whatever they could do they did. Because everyone knows the Jew can't fight for long. And had that war continued perhaps the Muslims would have then stood up and got weapons from somewhere else. But after six days, Russia and America make an agreement that cease fire immediately. No one must fight. And the war comes to a stop. So then Egypt goes to Russia and says that you must ask that the Israelis must now get out from where they have taken over. And all the weapons that you have given us up till today, they have taken all away. You must force them to return everything. So Russia says, sorry, we can't do that. And that just showed what hold was behind this country of Russia. But Russia told Egypt, don't worry, we will still help you, we will start giving you all more weapons. 
but on condition that you'll pay so much money. And again, Russia's help with Egypt started. Six-day war, entire thing destroyed. Who was behind it? That very same force who the Arabs thought will be our main backing. So it shows in world policy, in war, who was behind everything? It was a Jew. How did they get so much strength that in a land like Russia, which hated the Jew, they were controlling the whole thing? And then America, and then England, South Africa, Zimbabwe. Every way he proved it was a Jew behind it. How did they get so much power? And then he says, and whenever war took place in the world, whichever world war took place, the only people who really benefited was the Jew. Because first they would finance that group which would stand up and rebel against the government. They would give them a loan on riba interest that will pay us later on. And they would finance them completely. And then they would finance the other group, the people of the country. That these people are standing up against you and you will need weapons. So we will send weapons, you must pay us later on. And at the ending, whoever would win, someone would be paying the Jews money. And they would be behind it. So the only people who ever benefited when thousands of lives would be lost in war would be the Jew. So he asked this question, that how did the Jews manage to get so much power behind everything? <coughs> so some Jews have given an answer to this. And their answer, the most they can reach is this here, that God created the Jew with a brilliant mind. That God created the Jew with a brilliant mind. In every era, the Jew, irrespective of his race, whether he comes from Yaqub or he comes from Eastern Europe, but as long as man says, I'm a Jew, he gets a brilliant mind. And because of that, the Jews have always been the most intelligent of every country. And obviously that's no answer. Then he tries to give some of his answers, but none of them make sense. The main answer that he can come across is that the Jews have always been close together. A Jew will give his life to make sure another Jew doesn't drop. But if that is the answer why they could take control over everything, then why can't two Christians stand up and say, we will unite? And we will take over everything. Why can't two Muslims stand up and say, we will unite? Whereas Islam has taught unity amongst the Muslims. Why has throughout history the only group able to unite was not just a Jew, and not just a practicing Jew, but it was always a Zionist Jew who had no ta'aluk with religion whatsoever. He was always able to make sure his people go ahead. So this is that question that how were they able to take over everything and because of which nowadays politics we all know above everything is وَمَكَرُوا وَمَكَرَ اللَّهِ That no matter what they do, Allah is above. وَإِن كَانَ مَكْرُهُمْ لِتَزُولَ مِنْهُ الْجِبَالِ Some of their plans are such that whole mountains can move. At one time it would be thought that their plans can move mountains. Nowadays we see with that one bomb the whole mountain does move. Their plans are so great. Allah Pak says, وَمَكَرَ اللَّهِ But Allah is above. One whole plan is taking place here. But that one question that we must understand to protect ourselves from what is happening is how is a man called a Zionist able to control such power over not only outside world, over us also. Our minds are made to think how the Jew man wants it to think. When that movie that we see, whether we see movies or not, but one thing, when the World Cup will take place next year or whenever it happens, then why will you see so many young Muslims who hate the West and who hate the Jewish religion and who hate Zionism and who know these people massacred our Muslims in Palestine? But when that World Cup will come, then everyone will just forget everything and will be glued to the TV. How did they manage to take control of our minds like that? That that man who got no deen, he's our star in our life. Although Azan is going, I will mention one point. 
whether I love in the future or not, at least take one lesson. The other day I came out of the masjid and I hear two youngsters speaking. And this is what power they have got over our minds. So they are speaking of present day soccer. And every one of us speaks like this. Yeah. Think what are we saying and who are we supporting? What grip is over our mind? So the one person says to the other person speaking about Liverpool, that you people got no chance. Then say Liverpool got no chance. You. Say we got a chance. We. What link are we making with that group which has been made to destroy Muslims around the world? That we call one group you and one group us. So if ever this word comes on our tongue, that we and you, let us read our kalima. Because we do not even know which group we are affiliating ourselves with. If we know the meaning of that name of that group, which is a meaning normally always drowned in idol worship or fire worship, the name of the group is such. And if you know every player what he does to become a superstar, and then to say that that is my guy, and that is your guy, we will read kalima and you will shiver. But the question is, how did they get control of our mind like that? That what they want us to run behind, we run behind. They want us to follow, we follow. They want us to believe, we believe. So that is that question which last week I started, and today I've made it even more bigger. And now I want you all now to think of this question. How did they get that control over our mind? And why can't any Muslim group do it? Why can't a Christian group do it? Why couldn't a Chinese group do it? Why was one Eastern European group able to do this thing which has for over 100 years ruled what we call the known world? May Allah Taala until that time and forever protect us from whatever fitna we find ourselves around. May Allah Park protect us from being subjugated by the means of the Zionist people. Let us stop watching TV. Let us stop seeing their magazines. Let us stop watching and following sport. Because that is that thing which is pulling even those who are dini inclined towards the way. That we now speak their terms. Allah Tabarak wa Ta'ala grant us all of it.